Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Welcome back, prom party. I don't know how to be spooky this week. Spooky. That's all we got. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, friends. Welcome back. We hope that you've been enjoying all of spooky season. We have a very, very special episode in store for you today. We're going to get spooky. We're going to get thrilling. We're going to go on thrill rides. We are going to Hellfest. Tony Todd voice. I don't know if anyone can do a Tony Todd voice other than Tony Todd. I feel like that's one of those voices where people are like, hey, check out my Tony Todd. And you're like, go away from me forever. Tony Todd, how everyone has like a Christopher Walken. And they always think like, oh, no, I'm really good at it. But they're not really good at no, it. No, they're not. <laughs> I think that's just the, the sign from the gods. Don't try to be Tony Todd. You can never. That's why Tony Todd has been in like 45 movies in the last 10 years. Because he's Tony Todd. (laughs) But friends, we are not alone this week. We are joined by screenwriter, amazing human being, executive producer, just one of my best friends in the entire world, Mr. Seth M. Sherwood. Hi, Seth. I almost waved, which would have been pointless. I mean, it's not pointless because we're actually in person. You, you were the second person we've ever recorded the podcast with in person and... um, Hopefully it won't have as many technical difficulties as the other time. I'll just point my face into this thing. You said aim for the butt. There's aim. a butt on the microphone. Yes, aim for the butt. All right. It's, <laughs> it's sound advice for life. <laughs> Aiming for the butt. Writing that in my notebook for life advice from Seth. Speaking of aiming for the butt, do you want to do a business in the front so we can party in the butt? Yeah, I am. We're going to go back to the episode format that we are absolutely ripping off of the Why Did We Ever Meet podcast and doing our business in the front so we can party in the butt because statistics have proven to us that y'all don't listen to the end of the episode when we do all of our plugs. So surprise, they're coming at you now. If you would like to support the show... You can give us that five-star review on Apple iTunes. It really does help. And we do have a Patreon, patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. We do mini sews, we do commentary tracks, we do playlists, we do all sorts of fun stuff. So join us over there. Every little bit helps. Is that business enough for you? I feel thoroughly businessy. So now let's get business casual because it's almost Friday. Ooh, it is almost Friday. That's right. All right, we're gonna get business casual. So we're talking today about Hellfest. This is a movie that came out a couple years ago, so we're not going to bore you with like, what was cool three years ago? Because y'all know you were there. 
You're, you're really going to call my segment boring? I'm not calling it boring. We're not going to bore you? Well, I would say it would be boring if we did like from three years ago. It'd be like, hey, guys, do you remember when this happened? Yeah, probably. It was a very different time. Yeah, a super different time. It was pre-pandemic and pre-2020 election. It was extremely different. Okay, you know what? That's a very Don't good point. You, sass me, woman. <laughs> you made a you made a great point there. But yes, as far as culture recaps, we tend not to do anything um, later than 2015 because chances are you remember. But instead of going to Fandango to talk about the synopsis, we're going to go straight to the source. Seth, can you tell the listeners what is Hellfest about? Um, Hellfest is about a group of friends who go to a theme park that's been set up as a haunt for Halloween. And once they get there, they just so happen to run afoul of a person who decides to kill people and then leave their bodies laying around because there's already a bunch of bodies laying around because it's a haunt. And, um, he's got a funny face and people fall in love (laughs) There's a bearded lady, uh, there's some clowns, some chainsaws, and it's just a good a good time for the whole family. It's 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 very it's very lovely with this ominous boy of the night. <laughs> <laughs> I love Hellfest. I think it is so much fun. Thank you. You're very welcome. <laughs> um, and one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you about this is one, obviously, like we're buds, we're friends. Yes. So I just like to have you in my life in general. But more importantly, um, Seth, were you ever a teen girl? <laughs> um, in my soul, maybe a little bit. I th- <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, my resume is full of teen girl horror. And I both um, enjoy this and also at the same time feel like I'm, uh, there's a, you know, a target on me, maybe rightfully so, because I'm writing outside of my my own experience, but I think that for me, writing teen content, there's a lot of things that are universal, regardless of gender. They're like, you know, your teenage years, it's such a, a brief period of your life, but for most people, it's full of like, you know, their first love, their first kiss, their first job, their first car, their first sex, their first so many things. And I find that that's pretty universal for everybody. And so that's kind of what I want to tap into as opposed to anything else. But at the end of the day, my experience was male. And so I guess I just, I don't need to see that. Or I feel like I've seen it a lot. I mean, it just seems more interesting to me to do something that's not me and not what I've seen. (laughs) If that's... If that's fair, I don't, I don't want to, I don't feel good about, you know, if I could be taking away somebody else's job. And I should point out that Hellfest also had two very, very good women writers uh, who worked on it in addition to me. Um, it was a weird flow of events in which I worked on it, then other people worked on it, then I came back to work on it. But they did major things to it um, and added to it. Um, I feel like I answered your question, but I'm just going to keep talking until... <laughs> No, I'm really glad that you mentioned the kind of the universal experience, though, because we talk about that a lot on the show, and we have plenty of fans of the show that also were not teen girls, because there is something sort of universal about the teen experience, and you're totally right, there are so many teen boy movies, and there are obviously a lot of teen girl movies as well, but those are also the movies that get shit on. 
um, teen boy movies like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, like those are considered classic films. Teen girl movies are considered teen girl movies. Sure. Um, so I'm really glad that you brought that up. I'm so glad you're here. I was just telling Taylor how I hoped you'd make it. Such a surprise. Huge surprise. Why? Why is it surprising? Well, I mean, just last time we talked, you said you were studying, so I didn't know if... Studying? Dude, it's October. It is fun time. You save that for December. Well, some of us have scholarships, Taylor. Kind of need to keep mine. You kind of need to get laid. Brooke, your bestie needs to get some. And lucky for her, Gavin's coming tonight. You remember Gavin. Brooke already told me you wanted to ride that date since you first laid eyes on him. Wow. Yeah, see, I listen. I really wish you didn't. Right, that D, huh? <laughs> Can I ask why you are drawn to tell these stories in favor of, like, you know, rambunctious teen boy youths getting into shenanigans? Again, I think it's because I've, I've seen it so many times. I really, like, I have, <laughs> I was a teen in the late 80s, so I was a little behind, you know, for me, John Hughes movies were, like, already out, and I thought, man, I can't wait till I'm a teenager and I'm in high school and I'm going to have that life. And it turns out nobody actually had that, <laughs> had that life. Rich kids in Chicago did. I mean, you're probably not wrong about that. That's true. Um, and I think just in general, I like writing teen content because it allows me to sort of live out <laughs> whatever I didn't. My teen life was kind of boring. I read a lot of books. I, I watched a lot of movies. Um, I didn't go to many parties. I certainly had friends that did. But I think that, yes, obviously there were people who had somewhat of a John Hughes existence, but not to that extreme degree. I mean, those those movies were fantasies. And so I guess a lot of times I want to revisit, you know, teen stuff and maybe have the fun that I didn't have. And in having the fun I didn't have, that also includes point of views that I didn't have. I think that that's really beautiful. I had a uh, kind of a oh shit moment the other day. I was talking with a friend about the podcast and she was like wow you've really been championing teen content like more than usual like obviously you have the podcast but um i recently wrote a piece for slash film about how there are so many shows and movies out right now that are based on like ya horror novels and she was like do you think that maybe you're so into it because you kind of didn't get to be a teenager because you went through all these traumatic things really early in your teen years and then kind of just turned into an adult and I had to sit with that for a while where I was like ah oh no I think oh I think we're gonna unpack something in therapy next week oh shit I mean that's I mean trauma I mean for you it was trauma for me it was doing nothing because I didn't like going out um same you know (laughs) and I you know I think that I'm really curious as to how many people live their teenage life you know those weird extroverted people who liked speaking out loud and and doing things. I don't know what that life is like. But, um, you know, how much of their experience were they basing on the movies they'd seen and what they thought they were supposed to be doing as opposed to, you know, just living their life? I don't know. But that's why I keep coming back to it. And maybe it just happens that I've... You're right. There have been so many rambunctious teen boy movies. I just... I don't know as a creative person, like, what I'm going to add to that. Because I certainly didn't have a you know, exciting rambunctious teen boy life to like say something different in that space. And, you know, I will say, and like, obviously this is, I don't think you were loading this when you asked the question, 
but there are times when I have been writing uh, or had ideas to write teen female content. And if it drifts into an area that I don't feel like I have, uh, you know, agency over, then I would, you know, want to work with someone on Lives of Feather. We had female writers in the room and you and I are working on a special little movie where I did not feel comfortable with the initial idea I had writing it as a sole male. And I wanted, you know, your input on that thing. And we can say that exists, but we probably can't say much else about it yet. But yeah, spoiler alert. Something <laughs> I wrote a script and it's fucking tight. Um, so yeah, I don't want to, I'm not trying to steal anybody's voice, but I'm also at the same time, I'm not really interested in, in my experience either. Well, if you're in like that situation, I don't know if you're stealing a voice, if you're also helping to like amplify other voices. Cause obviously in horror, especially, and in just films in general, you see a lot more that like plenty of men just stumble upwards and screw around and are yes. allowed to make mistakes and just keep putting out like bad, rambunctious teen boy movies or any other number of just like male centric media. And I, they're allowed to do that. They're given that opportunity to do that. And uh, female directors and writers are, aren't. So you're, you're, you're doing good things. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> So in talking about Hellfest, which is, you know, the movie we're here to talk about today, um, I am curious what your process is like in coming up with these characters. Um, this is a movie that is pretty central to, to two girls, but we follow three girls and we follow their love interests, their, their boyfriends. So as somebody who admittedly was kind of a homebody kid, um, how do you come up with these characters? Well, I should say that the movie had a long ass journey, both before and after me. When I came onto it, we were kind of, we had the basic concept, but we were kind of starting from scratch. And uh, initially, I think this is known and, and not a super big secret. Initially, Jennifer Lynch was going to direct it. And so... Oh, yeah. That's on like the Wikipedia page yeah, still. Um, good. And she's, she's amazing. She's great. Uh, she's bananas. And, you know, I went to New York. We knew the basic concept. I met with her and we spent three days in a hotel being weird and like figuring out like who these people were. And I think that... For me personally, and, and she identified with this, the the, the thing that's great about the, a teen, like I said, like you know, there's all these first experiences, and so for me, starting with those characters, it was like focusing on one of those things, like what's the first, like what's the thing that's happening, um, that we're going to then build this character around, and then from there, you just you know, you expand out, you fill in, you you figure out the supporting roles, and it just sort of comes together. It's kind of like character Sudoku where you know a piece here, a piece there, then when you start sticking it all together, it starts to make sense. I can't really describe what happens in my brain. It's weird. Um, but it usually starts with a question or a moment that I want to work out outward from. I love that. I love character <laughs> Sudoku. I think that that's, that's a really good way to put it because I think in pieces like this where you're getting a group of teens, you have so many different dynamics that you have to play with. And I really like the friend dynamics that exist in this group. Um, so the one I really want to dive into is Brooke and Natalie's friendship. Um, so if you could explain who these characters are, um, that would be great. Who are Brooke and Natalie? <laughs> um, what's funny is, is that when Jennifer and I were working on it, 
it was set in high school. And basically now I think we're saying it's the year after. It's like they're in their first year of college. So they're still not really adults, but they're also not in high school anymore. Oh, yeah. You've got that fresh first year of freedom. Yes. That first year when you're also not allowed to drink yet. So you're definitely still a child. <laughs> right. But they are doing shots in it. So maybe they're, maybe they're a little closer to 21 or they got fake IDs. Or, or... maybe they're breaking the law because it's no. definitely a bracelet flask. <laughs> Um, I think that Natalie is sort of the one who's had a hard life. There's so much, there was so much work done that like didn't make it to screen. Whereas, you know, Natalie has sort of had a rough time of it. She's a scholarship kid. She's had like sick parent, a sick parent. You know, she's basically had to like scrounge and scrape to like do her, uh, do her college life. And, you know, her friend Brooke has maybe had it just a little bit easier, but Brooke also stayed home. Like, Brooke didn't go away to school. Brooke decided to stay back home where they grew up. And I'm always fascinated by people who get their first taste of life elsewhere, and then they go back home for the first time and just have to completely recontextualize where they lived their entire life because it's suddenly, their perceptions have suddenly totally changed. Is that something that you had to do in your own life? Um. A little bit. It was less geographic and more mm, political, emotional, and uh, just worldview for me. From you know going to a very normal public school to then going to um, art school, where I met all manner of strange people and learned, you know, about people who lived life different <laughs> differently than I did. I think that those experiences are pretty invaluable, though. Like. I, I've talked about it a bit on the show, like where I grew up is, you know, outside Chicago is a little bit rough and tumble, a little bit impoverished. And then I went away to school in cornfields. And it was the first time that I had ever really interacted with people who did not have culture. Like that sounds really shitty and mean, but like, you know, one of the first days of sociology is when we had a kid in class confess that they had never seen a black person outside of being on television. Like, right, yeah. this is what I'm talking about when I say, like, cultureless, like, farm kids in the middle of nowhere. Um, and in learning how to interact with people who were so limited in their in their lived experience was really, really fascinating to me. And I think that I got, like, a really good grasp on just humanity in general, because it's one of those things where it's like, you don't know what you don't know. And these were people that didn't know anything. And then of course, like my sociology teacher like pointed this out and was like, everyone in this room can vote too, kids. And we were just like, Oh God, <laughs> that's textbook ignorance. Yeah. And that's what it is. It's, it's ignorant. It's pure ignorance because they just don't have that exposure. So yeah, I definitely went home and, had this like very weird kind of like ah moment where I was like, there are so many people who don't know what it's like to enter a space and have like people of different races and gender identities and religions like all in one supermarket. Like that's not a thing some people have, and that's wild to me. One of the things I'm, I, I mean, I have a teenage son, and one of the things I sometimes worry about is that. Uh, Content and entertainment and everything is so curated now that you aren't always necessarily getting alternate points of view. Um, like when I was in high school in the in the early nineties, MTV was for for that was the main content for people my age, and I would get home from school and I you know I was a 
I was a headbangers ball and 120 minutes kid. But when I got home from school, it was Yo MTV Raps. And so, you know, I had a fair amount of knowledge of 90s hip hop music because I would just turn on MTV and it would be on. At this point in my career, I've met enough famous people that it's semi-normal. One of the few times I've been starstruck is when I, when I met Chuck D from Public Enemy. Oh, that's tight. And I, and I, <laughs> I just, and I told him, I'm, I'm like, look, I have to tell you, as a middle-class white kid growing up in like a very safe uh, city, Portland, Oregon, um, your music gave me an education that I don't think I otherwise would have got. Um, and he was very appreciative of that, which was cool. And, you know, like, I don't know that like kids now are exposed to anything that they haven't chose to expose themselves to, which in some ways, especially as a creator, there's so many more outlets for things now for like to write for, but it's also so curated. You know, I have, I I literally have a, you know, a TV show out there that no one other than teenage girls has seen because it's not on network TV. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, first of all, I just want to say the Public Enemy is my favorite rap group. So, like, <laughs> I would totally love to just say hey to Chuck D because he's the fucking coolest. It was so good. <laughs> but, like, no, that all makes total sense as far as algorithm go because I think it's, like, what, like 60% of teens today, like, their their preferred media format of choice is TikTok or something. Like, it's, it's an extremely high number. Yeah, it's something overwhelmingly high. Exactly. And... TikTok, there's many sides to TikTok because the algorithm learns what you like and then it just feeds you more of that. And there's always an endless supply of people putting out more and more things within that niche. And it certainly is creating these uh, these like biodome-like environments where it's, it's this self-sustaining thing. Yeah, there was a thing I saw the other day on TikTok because y'all already know that I'm addicted. But it was two friends one of them is gay and the other one is straight and it was a sound reaction and the sounds are like what are what's really popular on like the gay side of tiktok and then what's really popular on the straight side of tiktok and the stuff on gay side of tiktok was like berries and cream and like oh no our table and like very kind of chaotic sounds and then straight was like all of the addison ray dances And it was really wild to watch how these two people who probably spend the exact same amount of time on the same app have entirely different experiences based solely on what is curated to them as a straight person or as a queer person. It was really wild to watch. Well, I just learned that my TikTok viewing is apparently very gay because I did not understand (laughs) anything you just said about the straight TikTok. <laughs> no, but like if you really think about it in terms of like an older sort of I guess media function, like I I mean I'm not on TikTok. I get I watch my TikTok in compilations on YouTube because that's how I roll. <laughs> but that says something about my particular brand of being 30. Um but like it's it's kind of like thinking of TikTok as like one format that all these things exist in, but there's many facets of it just being like, "Oh yes, cable. I watch cable." It's like, "Well, what does that mean?" Are you watching Lifetime? Are you watching like Home and Travel? Are you watching Spike, which isn't even a channel anymore? Like, what does that mean when you say you watch cable? Yeah, that's a really good point. So to bring it back to Hellfest, yeah, that I, is Natalie versus Brooke right there. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's, I think you're totally right. And honestly, since we're on this algorithm talk, I'm I'm gonna bring this up. Hellfest is a movie that I feel like is on my list of things that I'm like a one man band supporting. Um, 
I'm here too. Yeah, you are here too. <laughs> but there's like a there's like a list of things where if anybody on my timeline mentions it, I immediately jump on it and I'm like, "This right, this movie's awesome" because that's just who I am. And what's really weird to me is Hellfest. I feel like the marketing for it was just not there. I think we can both no. say that. Yeah, no. it just wasn't there. Um, and the the audience that should have seen this, like Hellfest, was released like right before the algorithm really started to become scary and skynetty. Um, and I feel like it missed its audience because every once in a while, someone will find it and talk about it. And then all of a sudden, I'll see a bunch of people talking about it or like, yeah, this movie's great. I don't know why more people aren't talking about it. And it's one of those things where I'm like, there are just so many windows where this movie should have like exploded and like found its riverdale ass audience and and thrived and it didn't and it just seems like people are slowly but surely trickling in and finding it and I'm then hoping for the whole i'm hoping for like a good trick-or-treat path for it where you know in 10 years it'll be <laughs> it'll be on everyone's list and my royalty checks will grow <laughs> but like for real like that's that's i think like mm. the perfect area you want to end up for a movie that's like in this wheelhouse especially because this movie feels so halloween like it's it's not something like uh, like the haunt or even like terrifier feels kind of like a, like a haunted house kind of movie in a similar sort of way where this is like haunted house in the way by way of fun like this is a fun haunted house it's not supposed to be like the scariest thing you're supposed to just have like a good time and go along for the ride and like there's a certain element of like festivity and spectacle that just makes it enjoyable to watch but also it's like, oh, hey, you watch a man's head get crushed with a mallet and then you see it get crushed with a mallet like a grape and it's rad. <laughs> Don't worry, I will totally protect you from being murdered. Oh, thanks. Shut up. I didn't realize that was a possibility. Whoa, 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 do not be flipping. It happens like an orange girl. Oh, yeah, that was fucked up. Wait, what? Oh, well, a couple years ago, a girl got completely gutted in a haunted house, like for real. The killer left her body in the park for three days. No one found her until she started to stink. They thought she was a freaking prop. Wait, for, that's brutal. Man, what can I say? Some people are just evil. I mean, they're monsters. To them, every single day is Halloween, and they dress up so that we don't know. Know what? That they walk among us. Nah, they're fucking with you. Okay, dude. Oh, yes, you okay. are. Okay, murder comes, we get it. It's scary. Before Hellfest, I'd been going around with a, a couple of scripts of my own that were fun horror, and uh, was I was not having much luck. I, for me, the best horror movie experience I had when I was younger was Scream, because we would get together with friends, we'd watch it, you laugh and you scream at the same time. I'm a big believer in that. If you're gonna scare somebody and have like disturbing, upsetting things, then you get to reward them with something that's like sweet or fun. And it also just helps you, you know, ride the wave up and down, ride the roller coaster of of of, of expectation and just where you're leading people. I, I yeah. I'm a I'm a bit I'm a fan of The Walking Dead. I have friends who work on it. I have to take breaks from that show and come back to it every few years because it never gives you a reward no. for hanging in with all the all the <laughs> depravity and the sadness and the and the and the low mar- and the low points. It just beats you down. It does. Oh my god. So I I mean for me, I wasn't having luck getting people to make to get my scripts made that were fun because nobody was doing them. So when I got to Hellfest and it seemed like there was a a chance to really push that and get people to like do fun fun horror because that's that's my favorite. 
Yeah, and I that that's something that I see people criticize specifically with like the Jordan Peele movies where it's like, oh, I wish that there wasn't these weird scenes of comedy. And I'm like, but do you not realize that like that makes it so much more enjoyable? Like, I'm sorry that you don't like that, but like the, the, the inclusion of fuck the police in us is awesome because it's just like that humor it, it's it's levity it's it's peaks and valleys it's not just constant dread and dark and like predictable stuff like that's i think that that's what keeps a viewer on their toes absolutely and i think that's the energy that you need to bring to a movie like this because the entire point of these Hollywood Horror Nights or Hollow Weekends or Fright Fest or whatever you want to go to. Shout out to Hollow Weekends, Cedar Point, America's Roller Coast. <laughs> but like, <laughs> you need that balance. Like, because if you go into those places and it's just nothing but torture the whole time, that's not fun. Like, no. that's exhausting and it overloads your body. You need those moments where somebody scares you and it makes you laugh. Otherwise, it's just traumatizing <laughs> also like that sense of triumph is like really important in a slasher movie you know oh yeah definitely definitely um i mean and yeah this is a slasher movie and we have a pretty fucking rad slasher we have the other um can you talk a bit about why this is i mean i mean you had to invent a slasher character and like that's kind of hard so yeah. what, you know i mean what was that like and where does that come from um this the, the versions that came before i was hired tried different things and you know, they weren't working for whatever reason, not because they're bad or poorly written. It just, they just, they didn't feel right for the movie that wanted to be made. Um, for me, the hardest part was, you, you know, you put somebody in a mask and some, everybody wants like a story. Now I use this example a lot that I, I, I adapted a Korean horror film called the wishing stairs. It didn't get made. Um, in the Korean version, Basically, there is a school, there's a haunted staircase, and day one, you know, in the first five minutes of the movie, the new kid is told, hey, don't go up those stairs, they're cursed. If you go to the top one and make a wish, your wish will come true, but it'll be in the most horrible way possible, so don't do that. And everyone's like, cool, got it, haunted stairs, won't do it. In a Western film, when I adapted this, I had, you know, a good 20 minutes before you get to the stairs because... What's the history of the stairs? Why are the stairs haunted? Our <laughs> Western narrative is built around setups and explanations. Mm -hmm. So for me, and this is the problem with the previous scripts on Hellfest, they all spent so much time trying to develop the backstory to the slasher and trying to set it up. And Jennifer Lynch had some ideas what she wanted to do it was actually when Greg uh, Plotkin, who did direct the film, when he came aboard, he was the one that was really pushing as he was a huge fan of the original Halloween. And he's like, look, we got it. We know a little bit about Michael, but that's it. Like we don't need to know things. And we tried versions where we, you know, saw more of the other setup. We saw more of what his life may be without the mask. And it just never felt right. And ultimately, and I, I, I wish I could say who thought of this. It may have been Greg. It may have been Kayla Cooper. It may have been Blair Butler. I, I want to say it was me, but I don't think it was. The origin story for the other is in the first 10 minutes of the movie. It's just told as like an urban legend. It's told as a story. When uh, they're going into the park, Quinn and Taylor tell natalie like oh you didn't hear about this thing that happened that's all fucked up where this chick got slaughtered in a haunted house and they didn't even know it because they thought her body was a decoration 
like who would do such a thing? And Taylor says something like, Oh, you know, that's those people who just look like us, but that one day of the year they put on a mask and they're a monster. Not those exact words, but that was it. That was the origin story right there. And then Greg came up with the crazy brilliant ending that sort of like caps that. Oh, I love that ending it's, so much. It's so good. It's so good. Oh God. We're, we're probably like, if you haven't seen this movie before, like we're probably going to spoil this ending because I think it's fucking fantastic. <laughs> but like, I'm so glad that you bring up Michael Myers because I legitimately, after we finished watching it yesterday, um, which I hadn't seen it since we saw it in theaters opening weekend, BJ's seen it a couple times, but I loved that that happens. And then I turned to BJ and was like, yo, okay. So like Michael Myers is kind of like ambiguous in the first movie. And then they give him all this backstory and shit in the later movies. And it just gets messier and worse. And it's, yeah. I hate it. But there's something about like, oh, Dr. Loomis just being like, oh, he's pure he's evil. evil. He's evil. <laughs> and just, <laughs> he's got like the most hair trigger and is willing to just shoot anything. And like, like that's tight. But like him just being evil is not interesting like jason wanting revenge is tight but then like that kind of like it breaks down and it's sort of just because like i don't know jason kills people because that's what he does and you start to lose the plot versus this one where it's like oh he's just a guy he's a normal guy and he just does this for the fun of the sport and that is so much scarier and so much more of what you want a good real life like slasher or killer to be like they're just like they're a normal guy it's this um you know the the monster that lives next door and you have no idea exactly yeah we were talking about this a little bit earlier today because there's been kind of a recoil on how big like true crime podcasts have gotten and how the the culture of true crime fandom has warped and changed and one of the things that we were mentioning is that because serial killers like they don't really exist anymore because dna and forensics and things like that have just gotten yeah they've just gotten too good so now because you know true crime has become so profitable and there's only so many serial killers that you can talk about they instead have to go after the other types of true crime which tend to be like interpersonal and like domestic relationships and it is the people in your neighborhood but that makes it in a weird way like it's more real so I understand like the appeal to it and that's why people are into it. But also it then be- starts to feel like a little bit exploitive where it's like, oh God, like that is like a person who went to PTA meetings and like their <laughs> friends are on Facebook and they still talk about yeah. it. And like, that's really weird. And I like the ending of Hellfest because it feels like it's that perfect balance where, you know, dude has the the thing in his garage or shed where he keeps all his masks and his mementos and like that's creepy and terrible, but like, yeah, he's just a dad. So it's like that perfect balance of like, that guy could be in any neighborhood that's scary and like feeds that true crimey side, but also so like it's so out of the realm of possibility because he's a you know a serial killer and those don't exist anymore that it falls back into slasher land it doesn't feel yes. like gross which i i quite like it's a it's a delicate tightrope and y'all didn't fall off of it so that's great <laughs> that's my main goal as a writer is to not be gross <laughs> except for when i need to be gross <laughs> i mean let's talk about the gross the kills in yeah. this are so good and so fun. And I know Harmony mentioned it earlier with the uh, the the hammer, the mallet to the to the head, and you actually see it. I remember us sitting in the theater, and I was not expecting to actually get to see it because I was like, "Oh, I get it. They're gonna hit the head. The bell's gonna ring. We're gonna know what happens." But it was like, "Oh no, no, we saw a explosion." Yeah, it's it's. I may have peaked with that one in my writing career. It's 
what's crazy about that is, is that that was in my first draft and like everything changed so much, but that was always in there. And after um, I had moved on to working on Light as a Feather and then a Kayla Cooper, who just wrote Malignant, um, she came on. And then after her, uh, Blair Butler came on and then I came back uh, at the end. The high striker kill was was always there. And somebody in the cha- food chain was always trying to kill it because they thought it was just a little too weird like like they were worried that it like changed the tone of the movie and all the writers and greg the director we all we all felt like no that is the tone of the movie Mm -hmm. is that that bit right there is exactly what this movie is about yeah and like i'm i'm a sucker for any movie that uses like the gimmick hey you're in a theme park let's use theme park sort of (laughs) stuff like that's tight and you see that a lot with various characters and their kills in this movie which i love but Man, I'm so sad that, like, Gavin gets offed first because he is, like, so cute. And honestly, I really like him and uh, Natalie's relationship. They're so good. Like, it's budding and, like, I, it's very believable to me. How dare you make me care this much about straight people? Like, <laughs> because they, you know, they have that moment together where they, they really are this like budding relationship where it's in that very cute stage where you're trying to impress each other. So you're picking at each other and making fun of each other constantly. The, like Their banter is so great. And then they have their scene where they're in the photo booth and you know they're going to kiss and you're waiting for it to happen. And then it happens and you're just so happy. And then he fucking dies like right after that happens you're like no gavin it's a testament to the actors because they did a lot of that was them they they just had great chemistry uh they they did there's a a fair amount of improv work in the movie they they that they all need to take credit for um one being that a lot of the scares were real reactions because in uh rehearsal takes greg would say okay the the thing's gonna pop out over here then when they were rolling it would pop out over there Oh, that's so much smarter. There's there's one re- there's one uh, take when uh, in the funhouse ride, when Natalie's in the cart alone, something like pops out and she says "fuck you" and starts laughing. That's one hundred percent like a real reaction to the director. Oh, I love that um, so much. But the, and then Gavin, he <laughs> he has they're 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 speaking to the bearded lady, and like playing with her beard, and then mm-hmm. she she walks off and. Now he says, well, maybe you should grow a beard. And he's like, well, I can't. And like, that was purely him speaking for himself. And it was <laughs> it like those moments are so cute. And I'm I love knowing that that was improv because like those are the moments that really win me over on yeah, him. No, totally. Most horror movie boyfriends are just ass. Like they're the worst guys. I don't give a shit about them. Like when Bob dies in Halloween, I'm like, good, good. Linda. Like <laughs> fuck, fuck that guy. But uh yeah, he's one that I actually care about. I'm just like, oh no, Gavin, you like her so much and you're trying so hard to get these prizes. You're such a good boy, but you got smooshed. <laughs> <laughs> they were also lovable in their individual ways. And you know, it 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 <laughs> They were great. They they were great. I mean, even even the 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 very masculine, the other two were you know very broy, but you never felt like they were gross, gross. And they, they there was something about them that was just you know endearing. Yeah, like they feel like jocks, but like the one cool jock on the team that is actually like a good dude. Yeah, yeah, they definitely both feel like that. And I can't believe we've gone this long and not talked about Taylor. Taylor, the gayest character that somehow isn't gay. Um, you can tell it better than I can. <laughs> what the fuck happened with Taylor? 
So in my early drafts, her name was Bree originally, and uh, Natalie, whose original name, I can't remember, all the names changed when legal, said no and ran the names. Um, Natalie called her Cheese. It was her best friend Cheese. And we wanted an unrequited love story that would sort of peak along with the scares. And the idea was Natalie didn't, wasn't quite ready to admit that she wasn't straight to her lesbian best friend. And along the way, it, you know, evolved. At one point, they all had boyfriends and they didn't have boyfriends. At one point, all the boyfriends were in a band together, which was hilarious, but ultimately kind of exhausting. <laughs> um, and <laughs> somewhere along the lines, it was when I was not involved. It was after I left, but before I came back, uh, Brie became Taylor and Taylor became <laughs> straight, question mark? Um and it was a decision, I think, that was made pretty high up on the food chain. And I w- I w- <laughs> I've thought about this. I, w- I wouldn't say that it was a directly like a homophobic decision because everyone involved was a very cool person. Everyone was cool with that script in the beginning. But ultimately, at some point, they did market research. They did something. And, and at some point, a bean counter somewhere got scared that having the main character come out halfway through the movie was going to alienate people. And so, and they, they weren't personally against it, but the numbers said this, but the homophobic part is the numbers because there's a lack of representation. And I, I you know, everything that you've ever talked about on your podcast ever basically <laughs> affected this decision. And like, it was no one person saying, Oh, we can't have a lesbian character. It was a decision made in fear based on numbers and money and it shifted. And I'm pretty sure, I can't say this for certain, but I'm pretty sure that Bex took the role when it was a lesbian part. But then when it shifted, they were cool with it and even said, hey, I've always wanted to play a dumb bimbo straight girl in a horror film. Um, <laughs> but n- literally nobody who watches this movie who's even remotely queer looks at her and doesn't think she's at the very least bisexual. And it's a very coded performance. And that's Bex doing sneaky things as an actor. In order to open up the gates of hell, we must spill the blood of... Wait for it. Wait for it. A virgin. So about that whole virgin thing, I think we might have a problem. What is your name, child? Taylor Ann Smythe, Your Honor. You're accused of doing the devil's work. What say you? Totally did it. And what are your crimes? Oh, well, how long do you have? Because I've actually done laps around the seven deadly sins. Oh, impressive. But you must pay for your transgressions. Oh, what is it? Your head. Yeah, Bex Taylor-Kloss, for those that don't know, is non-binary performer. They are doing wonderful things now, and I'm very proud to see how they've progressed. But, like, it's one of those, and we talked about this on our last American Virgin episode, where there are three gay men, like, gay teens, playing, like, right. horny straight boys, and <laughs> right. it's like, that's cute, okay. <laughs> um, Bex just kind of oozes queerness um it's yeah. just mm-hmm. part of their character it's like how they it's that that particular brand of like confident and queer um 
that is definitely coming out. But then at the same time, it's so fun and kind of a mind fuck when then suddenly Bex is like straddling this hunky boy. And I'm like, this doesn't compute right in my brain, but you know what? I'm kind of okay with it because I was also like a punk queer kid who fucked men for fun. So in my brain, I'm like, that tracks. The way that Bex played Taylor was that for that week, that month, Taylor wanted a boyfriend. Yeah. Totally. Like, I absolutely can read that. And I also think that Taylor as a character is kind of just chaos incarnate. I mean, because the first time we meet Taylor, it like, you know, Nat and Brooke are reuniting. It's this big moment. And <laughs> Taylor's just like in pajamas like, hey, I live here now. Isn't it awesome? And you're like, that's not the tone right now, bud. Like, <laughs> they're having a moment. Yeah, she has no filter. No. And- Taylor. I mean, if you want to go ahead and say like, oh, well, I mean, Taylor is just into a dude right now. It's like, well, I mean, they, they're, they're, the whole collective is using men to get tickets to Hellfest. So like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's very, very true. But adding, adding Taylor in there, it feels like a very fun dynamic of this group because obviously like Nat and Brooke are having a little bit of strain because of, you know, the different college experiences that they're having and they're a lot more chill than Taylor. Yes. And you need, I think every friend group needs the Taylor. Like you need the one that's going to chaos. You need that chaos. You need that person that's <laughs> going to be like, shut the fuck up. We're doing this, um, which I love. And I mean, I'm just going to say for the first time on record, are bits of Taylor inspired by me, Seth? Is that true or false? Um, possibly true. Ooh, mystery. Yes. Big, if true. Part, yeah, I mean, I uh, there's you in there. There's another very dear friend of mine who did not like Taylor in the movie and is offended that it's her, but it's totally her. Um, <laughs> actually, you know, now that I'm thinking, what, here, here's the thing that's really funny. You wrote a script. It was one of the first things I read of yours. And there was a character in that script that was very much you. It's you as a punk goth girl who loved horror movies and talked about horror movies a lot inside of a horror movie script. And when I read it, I said, this is too autobiographical to the point that it's distracting. You need to reel it in a little bit. And you said, but I don't want to. And I said, okay. But then that character type is exactly, exactly what Taylor is. <laughs> but I know, I know that Blair did a major pass on her and added a lot to her personality um, Akela as well. And, and again, Bex, Bex brought the energy and the coding and, and the spat, the, <laughs> the spastic behavior and the chaos. So, I mean, it really is a, a group effort, but you're in oh, that yeah. mix for sure. Oh yeah. And like, it just, I love knowing how all of those different elements come together and like play and become what you end up seeing on screen. I think too often people just assume like, oh, it all comes from one place or it all comes from one voice or it's all just this direct, you know, inspiration from something. And it's not, they like, there's so many different yeah. things happening to make, you know, cause, cause otherwise, yeah, then we are just kind of writing for other people that we know. And like, that's, you that's can't boring. be a screenwriter and keep your sanity without understanding how collaborative movies are. Exactly. It's just, it's just part of how it is. I mean, unless you're, you know, unless you're like a Tarantino or a Nolan or, you know, some other, dude director who makes women do 6,000 takes. Um, it's an, collaborative. An auteur. Yeah. 
this is a friendly reminder that abusing your actors is not auteurship. Ugh. But yes, no, I, I completely understand what you're saying with that. And I mean, Bex also has, or I should say Taylor, because the character Bex is very much alive. But Taylor has, uh, I think Taylor has my favorite death. Like, I do like Gavin getting squooshed. Like, I like that a lot. But I love Taylor's death because it feels so fitting for who that character is. Where Her death or her almost death? That's the thing. is Because th- they go together for me. Like, Got you it. couldn't... You couldn't do it right the first time because, of course, you can't. Like, that character is not going down without a fight. Exactly. And it's it's so nice that it's a combination of just the tenacity of Taylor, but also that, like, the other is trying to use a guillotine in a theme park as if a guillotine would be functional in a theme a park. park. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> which is like, mind you, like, th- th- this is such like a Taylor is center stage kind of moment that Quinn gets offed at the same time and he's like an afterthought. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah, sorry. That was uh that was an unfortunate budgetary thing. Initially after she escaped the guillotine, Taylor runs, she stumbles into the path of a parade. The other comes and they're literally like between floats and with a crowd all around them and he starts to gut her and everybody thinks it's part of the show. Um. And cheers it on and she tries you can see a little bit of it. She tries to run away and the crowd pushes her back like to him. Um but that was just too expensive and too time consuming. And uh, Quinn had hung on a little longer than initially planned. And it, w- it was literally, and like, this is the director, Greg, he'll say this is his one regret too, that those two deaths happening together at the same time and being stabbings is a little bit of a de-escalation compared to what's come before. Um, but you're not wrong in that it, it, she sort of overshadows his death. And I feel like that just would have happened no matter what the choice was, <laughs> because I think that that is Taylor's personality. That is Taylor's role in the group. Um, I just think that's how it would have went down. But I, I like that it's, it, it took more than one try. Yes. And just to that, it did not make it into the final cut of the movie. But there, at one point in a rough cut, there was an ADR line at the end of one of the cops saying, the the Taylor girls, you know, alive and on the way to the hospital. She's clinging to life because everybody knew that we, we all knew that like, if we were got to make another one, we couldn't do it without Bex. Gotcha. I mean, okay. So like, this is kind of how I read that whole scenario and knowing that like, it was just a victim of like production is, is a thing, but like, sure you could say that like it de-escalates but also i'm sitting here just being like oh yeah fun and games are over we're not using like gimmicks anymore like this is just like it's very true it's just like hey we're just gonna stab people now and it's quick and it's dirty and it can happen like in an instant like snap yeah i think that's actually a really really good point because obviously the the other is does have a little flair for the dramatic um while they are quite stoic like the fact that the very first kill once we're in hellfest not you know the the open but once we're in hellfest is just that taunt where you're basically in 300 and they're just waiting for like the thumbs up or thumbs down (laughs) and she's like all right just do it like he didn't have to do that he could have just stabbed this girl and stared her down but he's like no 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 no, no. i'm gonna wait i'm I'm gonna really stretch this out that's some camp bullshit like that's some drama sure and I, yeah, I like, I like the flair for the dramatic. And then it, it almost seems like when, when Taylor and Quinn die, that this is when it's like, all right, I'm done fucking around with these kids. Yeah. Like, 
I got, I got, I got things to do. I got to get home to my kid. I got to get this done. (laughs) And they are making this too difficult. So uh, yeah, I do think that you, you could make the argument for a de-escalation, but there's also at the same time, that's an escalation of, I I can't be fucking around with this drama anymore. I got to get on the, I got to get on the stab train. The stab train, by the way, is the name of my next script. (laughs) um okay so i do have a question um you watched a lot of movies growing up you're a big horror fan i mean you probably should considering the line of work that you're in um how was it for you when you got the news hey tony todd's in your movie my first thought was can i go back and add more scenes (laughs) with him (laughs) And the answer was, no, script is locked. There's no time. There's no money. Um, yeah. I mean, he, we did end up using him a ton. He's like the voice all over the park. Even before you mm-hmm. see him, you hear his voice several times. Um, when it was uh, Jennifer Lynch, initially she was going to have Marilyn Manson do it because she had just worked with him on Salem. Um, thankfully, that didn't. That yes, would not have held up. Yes. So good that didn't work out. Um when I heard Tony Todd, I, it was, it was, it was awesome. It was so exciting, but like I did have a little bit of stabby pain in my stomach that I hadn't been able to do more scenes with the Barker. Uh huh. I mean, he's just over here dressed like Dr. Facilier, but also a spooky <laughs> leprechaun. Like yep. I, I just love his whole presentation. <laughs> and he, he, he judged up that dialogue. Like that was all him. Like the basic lines were there, but he, he put all that performance into it. Like the over-the-top, like, showman stuff. Ah. Yeah, that really tracks for everything I've ever heard about Tony Todd. Is just, he, he just, he's a performer. He, and he commands attention yes. and knows exactly how to work the camera, work the lines. Like, he's the coolest. Yeah. And it was definitely when we saw it opening weekend. Like, I knew, obviously, he was in it. But when you see him, I was like, Tony Todd's my friend's movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I had that same feeling. Uh, after after the, uh, the, you know, the guillotine fake out, obviously, I have this moment where BJ and I have just finished rewatching Are You Afraid of the Dark, like the reboot. And I lean over and I'm like, BJ, it's all part of the show. <laughs> also yeah like let me segue hype um the new are you afraid of the dark slaps and if you haven't watched it you should it's so fucking good it's so good <laughs> like it's not like monster of the week like og are you afraid of the dark but it's super fucking fun so do yourself a favor and watch that if you want a good teen nonsense it's also got like a really similar energy to this because it's all about a spooky carnival that's true well the first season the second season's different but well, yeah 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 um so something else that I love is that this is a movie, you know, typically slashers have a final girl and this movie has two. Um, so I was wondering if you could speak on having dual final girls. I think it just defied expectation. I mean, everything we did was either slasher Bible 101, give them exactly what we're supposed to do, or we broke it and not, nothing in between. And so two final girls Let's do that. And if, if you remember, like it seems like Brooke is going to be the first one to go because she's alone. She's mm-hmm. off in the corner. She goes after the dude. I remember um, sitting down and showing it to our friend Graham. And like when that part came on, he was like, he's like, no, not the pretty girl first. Why? No, I love her. She's funny. <laughs> she's great. And, you know, he was so happy when she didn't die. There were some takes. There were some thoughts of her dying somewhere in that final showdown. 
Uh, but ultimately, it just felt better for them to get out together and for, to have Natalie, like, save her friend and actually, you know, do something other than just, you know, outwit him. It's a wholesome, feel-good story about friendship. <laughs> the real Hellfest are the friends we made along the way. Oh, no. <laughs> it makes it sound so negative. <laughs> <laughs> No, like, I really love the fact that there's the two final girls. And that's a trend that I've, I'm liking that I'm seeing a little bit more of. Um, We'll do a a mini episode on it. But I recently watched There's Someone Inside Your House that does not follow typical who gets to survive slasher rules at fucking all. And to me, I think it just speaks more to the way that Gen Z friendships are. And while... You know, Hellfest is a couple of years ago. It's not quite like the Gen Z that we look at it now, but it's like that cusp between Gen Z and millennials. The, there's a lot more communal bonding and a lot more like, like, like the kids today don't say like, hey, donate to charity. They say, hey, donate to this mutual aid. Like they, right. yeah, they're far more of a unified front. So it tracks completely to me that it would not be a sole survivor or, an, you know, everyone for themselves. Like it would be like, no, I have to save my friend. That makes so much sense to me. And I, again, I feel like Hellfest was really ahead of its time in that regard. Me too. And it's just one of those things where like I rewatched the movie and I, I call it like the Peter Griffin, why aren't we funding this energy? <laughs> like that's the only, like, cause it's the only way that I can describe it. Where like I get done with the movie and I'm like, God, that movie was so fun. And the dialogue just made me happy. And I like all these characters and I like how it ends. Why was this not a huge... I don't understand. It just um, breaks my brain. Because marketing is actually a thing. And if people aren't aware of it, they won't see it. And also, we were competing with the return of Halloween. I mean, oh. I, I remember a week before the movie out, going to the IMDb page. I want to see my name on IMDb. And the page for Hellfest on IMDb is skinned in Michael Myers' ads. So like, there was, uh. you can't compete with... with Universal, who's going to spend double the budget of the movie on marketing to make sure everybody goes to see it what and a, is on like 10 times as many screens. What a coincidence that we're doing this like the day that Halloween Kills came <laughs> out, <laughs> which is almost like, I think it's like a few days shy of the three year anniversary of when we saw this in theaters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It came up on our Facebook memories the other day. It was like, oh, we saw Hellfest in theaters. <laughs> Remember theaters? Those are fun. <laughs> um. <laughs> So, I mean, we've kind of talked through the movie a bit, so I'm just curious. We we like we talk a lot about our own high school experiences on the show and you've kind of like touched on it. Um in this movie, are are there any characters in this that you identify with or that you wished you were more like? Like which character um do you think speaks to you the most? Mm. Wow. Um I don't know that I don't know if there is one because, like, like I said before, like I w- I'm so not interested in writing about my my experience that everything is sort of uh, far and away from where I am. Uh, there was an annoying younger brother character in early drafts who got like killed and stuck on the 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 front of the parade float, um, but that <laughs> that didn't make it in. Um, I don't know. I, I I think that in a weird way, this is like you know me. I, Saw John Hughes movies. I didn't have my John Hughes experience when I was in high school. So now I'm sort of writing the fantasy version of my high school eyes. Not that I wanted to be in a slasher story, but I don't know that I'm present. 
I mean, you've read enough of my scripts. I'm not, I don't, I don't love using, uh, like I never say like, we do this in the, mm-hmm. scri- in the prose, in the prose of a script. I certainly never address myself. I very much like to be invisible in my scripts. Um, and let them speak for themselves. If you could fantasy book yourself as any of these characters, like <laughs> which one do you wish you were more like? Well, I mean, I mean, I'm probably most like Gavin because he was awkward. But you know, Quinn and um, dude with pecs. I mean, having that chest in high school would have you know definitely upped my popularity. <laughs> No, I, I can relate to that because I want to say that me right now, I give off Taylor energy, but realistically, <laughs> I was, I'm a Gavin. We're all Gavins. We're all, down. We, the, the, at, our, at our soft, squishy core, we are all Gavin. <laughs> Who can't grow beards. <laughs> Same. I, I lasered mine off. Well, then I guess I'm not Gavin because I can grow a beard if I really try. <laughs> you can be the bearded lady. I can be the bearded lady. I'll be so beautiful. Oh, that'd be so nice. <laughs> so, uh, just so you guys know, fear is an aphrodisiac. Yeah, yeah, it stimulates something more you know. deep in those lizard brains, and it reminds you that life is short, and an organism's only true purpose is to, uh, to reproduce. Okay. <laughs> that's great. Thank you. It is. All right, I will let you guys think about that, and okay. I'll be back later. All right. Thanks for the master class. Welcome! I'm starting to get the feeling our friends think something's going to happen to us. Really? No, I hadn't, I hadn't noticed that at all. Oh, really? Mm. You don't get that vibe at all? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's very just subtle. Just you're picking up on that. Yeah, it's just me. Hey, well, I, I, I'm actually, like, I'm glad you came. I think it's going to be fun. It's been a while since we've hung out. Yeah, I was bummed that I had to bail. I just had a bunch of shit that I needed. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that keeps on my face. <laughs> no. It's not that bad. So you mentioned earlier that you have a you have your own teenager now, um, which is also very weird because I've known you for a very long time, which means I've known your kid since your kid was not a teenager, and now your kid's a teenager, and I feel like I'm a thousand years old. So I can only imagine how you feel. Two thousand years old. <laughs> um, but I guess when be, because you work so much in teen spaces um between like television and and movies um do you feel like you're pretty cued into like cool hip teen stuff or do you still feel like you need you need people to uh to help guide you along the way i mean you know you always do millennial checks for me um i've asked my kid things every now and then but he the thing that's strange is i'm sure there are some kids who you know want to go to the football game want to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend and, you know, go out cruising in their car and go to the diner or go to a club or whatever. I, that's not my kid. My kid's not extroverted, but I look at a lot of the kids at his school when I pick him up and I don't know that the, the teen content that I'm writing is actually like, I think I'm writing fantasy content the same way John Hughes did in a weird way. Like me getting to high school and realizing that I, you know, wasn't going to have a John Hughes experience I, you know, I think there's a 14-year-old right now who's starting high school and realizing they're not going to have a light as a feather experience, which is probably good because you don't want to, you don't want to die from a curse. Um, but I mean, you know, sure, people date and have these complex emotions and feelings, but I don't think the the drama, like nobody's living a Riverdale experience, you know, no one's, I think that these things that we create and put out there 
even when they're a horror story and they're scary, they're still a fantasy. They're still like an adventure. Like, you know, like I, I don't know that, I mean, I'm not a teenager, so I couldn't say for sure. And my kid is, you know, I tried to get him to go to homecoming and he's like, why would I want to do that? That's, that's a, that sounds terrible. That sounds like not for not like I'm a shy kid. I don't want to go out through it. That was like a, F- f- football game what the f- i don't want to go to a fucking football game <laughs> um so you know I, I don't know it's 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 really hard it's it's hard to say my kid is a he's i mean he's also as a boy a very boy boy he's in this caveman stage where i basically only see him when he needs food and he comes out to forage and he you know grunts at me for a little while <laughs> i i think you're tapping into something though when this this whole idea of like you know writing for for teen fantasy because i think about the the teens that i know in my life and like my nephew and 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 their friends and you know the the teens that end up on my tiktok page and then i go to follow them and i'm like ah you're 15 i can't follow you um because kids today don't look the way that they did before and it's very difficult to navigate social media landscapes in that way where i'm like oh you're really funny you're 17 nope (laughs) give it a year and then i'll follow you kiddo um but so many of them are just so stressed out and so anxious and dealing with so much depression and especially you know the teens of the last two years who have not had normal high school experiences like i think about what are what is that generation gonna write when it's their turn to write teen media like they they don't get to have these experiences. They don't get to go to prom. They don't get to do any of those things. And that's like breaking my brain a little bit. Yeah, I go back and forth on that because on the one hand, I do write all this teen content because I didn't feel like my teen experiences was that was that extraordinary. And you know, my kids, you know, he went to school. He's a junior now, and he said, uh, you know, his freshman year and now, you know, a third of his junior year. That's the only time he's been on campus. His sophomore year is completely at home. And part of me feels bad, but also, you know, as much as I'm stuck in writing teen content, I don't personally reflect on my teen years that much. Like, I don't, I definitely don't pine for it. You know, I'm, I, I I always think of anybody who pines for high school as probably someone you should avoid. Like, you know, you don't want to be hanging out with the Uncle Ricos of the, mm-hmm. of the world. <laughs> and I guess I think I like the fantasy, con- I think the fantasy teen world more than the actual one. So part of me feels worried for him, like you're saying, but another part of me is like, he's going to be fine. He's still going to go out there and live his life and have experiences. And we're basically just talking about, you know, a couple years of his life. And also kids today, with the exception of people like your nephew, I think are generally developing, you know, maybe two, three years behind where I am, at least a year or two behind where people your age were. Um, My sons hit all the milestones I did, but they've been much later. And I don't know what that's a result of, but a lot of the parents I've talked to say similar things. That's really interesting. I hit all my milestones really early. I'm a terrible barometer because I was a menace when I was in high school. Oh, yeah. Um, But I agree with you in terms of, like, you don't want to be around those people that pine for high school. Like, because I definitely don't think that I pine for high school in any way, shape or form. But I also recognize that my high school years were so much more formative to who I am as a person now. And I spent so much time trying to avoid that reality and process that reality because sure. it's it's hard. Um, and I think that's, you know, why we tend to shit on teen movies or anything to do with teens in general, because we're like, it's not a big deal. It's just high school. Like, it doesn't matter in the long in the long run. 
But then I look at like the taste that I have, I developed when I was in high school. Sure. Um, the, the attitude that I have started, the root of it was in high school. I refined it. In, oh yeah. You know, I've seen the photo boys. bucket. <laughs> that you uncovered recently yeah i had to pay money for that yeah if you ever had a photo bucket and you're like i want to get those pictures back you have to pay for it because they don't host for free anymore it's some bullshit um imagine paying for your awkwardness back and that's what i did i paid ten dollars because it's two separate photo buckets and there's a third photo bucket that i can't get access to because it's some weird scene kid ass spelling of Brittany with some h's and extra ease and i don't know how i spelled it so i'll never be able to get in it's mm. it's a disaster scene kid spelling was a, was a mistake uh for a, a lot of reasons but namely that one that's my personal <laughs> vendetta against it right now <laughs> at the same time i'm i feel like i'm also guilty of it because i'm sitting here like oh these kids didn't have prom or graduation or any of these things and like in a weird way i'm romanticizing something that like i didn't even kind of give a shit about same. yeah absolutely i mean for me it was much more college than high school but you know that was me. I mean, isn't that just like, uh, I, I don't know, you've been conditioned to like be like, oh, this is the teen experience. You're supposed to enjoy these things, especially because we see it all the time on our show, This Ends at Prom, about how big of a deal prom is. And so I, 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 don't, I don't know. I think that's just seen as like a pivotal part of the teen experience, which is just continually evolving. And the last couple of years, especially, it has had to evolve very quickly. Oh, yeah. I mean... I like that you brought up homecoming and your kid being like, fuck a homecoming, because that also is like in a sense, like kind of weird. I get asked all the time to come back to my college for college homecoming. And they're like, you know, come back on with the marching band and do feature twirler stuff. And I'm like, you couldn't pay me to go back to that university. Like, that's so weird to think yeah. about me going back and like twirling again at halftime. Like that's who is that for? For me, for me, nobody wants to see my old fat ass twirl fire. That's a lie. Plenty of people want to see that. I I would. I've seen it. It's great. <laughs> but no, I think about how in um in my high school, like they do like alumni night or whatever, where you get to come back out with your instruments and then perform with the marching band and stuff like that. And I'm like, man, this really only works if like you happen to live within like a very close vicinity of like the high school, I suppose. But I also read a statistic one time that said like 80% of people die within like 30 miles of where they were born. So I guess it makes sense. I don't quite get high school football. Like who cares? Clearly my son doesn't. But like <laughs> don't go to Texas and say that where high school football is like the center of the universe. Oh yeah, I've seen King of the Hill. <laughs> also, I meant to tell you this weeks ago, but in all the promotions and emails home for Homecoming... They abbreviated it in a very interesting way. And I just sort of like laughed at it and didn't even think about it. And then when I picked my son up from school the day before homecoming, uh, I gave one of his friends a ride home. And he kept asking my son if he was going to go to homecoming. But instead of saying homecoming, he used the abbreviation that they were using for homecoming, which was HOCO. I was just going to say, I was like, is it HOCO? It was so HOCO. Oliver, are you going to come to HOCO? Uh, it sounds like a music festival I don't want to go to. <laughs> it to it me sounds like a company of prostitutes. I was like, it's a it's a company of hoes. Why do we have to have terrible abbreviations for everything? Like, um, what is it? The Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse in Col in uh, in Cleveland, and it's like the Romo Fijo. 
Yeah, it's atrocious. It's <laughs> so bad. Well, because the Rocket Mor- God, I hate even saying. I'm not going to. It used to be the Quicken Loans Arena. So it was uh-huh. just the Q. That's perfect. Great abbreviation. One letter. Romo Fijo, get out of here. That's stupid. I miss when it was the Gundarena. I didn't live in Cleveland then. No, it's, it's, it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> so, Seth, I want to thank you so much for, for coming on here. Um, is there anything that you would like to plug or anything you want people to be looking for that you're allowed to talk on? Um, I can't talk about new stuff, but go watch Hellfest. It's on Netflix. It is on Netflix. And also Light as a Feather on Hulu. Hell yeah. Which is more lovely teen content written by a couple middle-aged dudes. And some women were in the room as well. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. And Harmony. I went a little out of order, but I don't care. Hellfest is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, or a maybe? And are you writing anything on the card back? It is definitely a yes. And like, I mean, it would be sure awkward if I was just like, no, I'm not not a fan. (laughs) (laughs) With Seth right here just staring me down. But no, like, big fan. Uh, I think that this is a great Halloween movie, which we didn't really plan it, but all of our horror movies for this month are all, like, directly built around Halloween itself, which is tight. It just kind of happened that way. But we also talked about this last week, about how there's not enough horror movies centered around Halloween because Halloween cornered that market so aggressively. And I think that this is just a really fun addition to that canon. I love it. We already did our plugs at the top of the show, but in case you missed them, because you fast-forwarded it, you're getting them again. Leave us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. It really, really genuinely does help. Fuck that algorithm up. We also have our Patreon, patreon.com, backslash this ends at prom. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at this ends at prom. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. Seth, where can people find you on the internet if you want them to find you? God, I mean, you can find me on Twitter. It's just my name. Don't send me more hate mail. I've got <laughs> I get the hate mail for Leatherface more than anything else, but I've got, I've got enough. I don't need any more. No, if anything, you're probably about to get a wave of other millennials that are like, I watched your movie and I like it. Oh, yeah. that's Yeah, we did. You, you <laughs> last week, there was a tweet asking me to explain the ending, the very simple ending of, of Hellfest. And I, and I asked all my adult friends, what do I do about this? And like, don't, don't, what, why? Just ignore that. And then I asked you, and you were like, engage them. Engage the youth. Yeah, engage them. Sometimes they're little baby birds. You've got to feed them. You've got to mush it up a little bit before you give it to them. Sometimes the pieces are too big. Fine. You can't just ignore children. It's like a, a kid comes over, and it's like, look at this toy I've got. You're just going like, to be like, I don't see you. Look, my child, no child igno- here. my child ignores me, so fuck children. <laughs> <laughs> you have a teen, though. Like, they're assholes. <laughs> Harmony, where can people find you on the internet? If you want to yell at me for calling teens assholes, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And thank you, as always, to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title for our theme song. Y'all are the best. I love you so very much. And Harmony, what is the cool indie band you want people to check out this month? This week, we are plugging a band called Lessibu Grand. I believe that it's two people, I think. Um, but I really only know like the singer who who is like prominently featured in all of their material. Specifically, I want to shout out their song, Not Sweet Enough, because it's got like a very uh, 
a very spooky, heavy, kind of menacing vibe to it, which is really funny considering the rest of their music really doesn't have that kind of vibe at all. Um, Also big fans of Hot Glue Gun and I'm Not Sorry. Uh, The kind of chip tunes, very playful and fun, but like good pop melodies. Like there's a lot of range in this group that I think is really fantastic. Well, awesome. That takes us out on Hellfest. Thank you so much, as always, friends, for listening. We will see you next week. And don't forget, save that last dance for us. Bye. Goodbye. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.